right, hello and welcome everyone back to another episode of The Publisher Lab. I am Tyler Bishop, and alongside me as always, Shelby King. Shelby, how's it going today? Great. It's like time is going by so fast, but I'm having a good time. Yeah, you're traveling this week, right? So you're going to be at the International Food Bloggers Conference. Yeah, it'll be my first time in New Orleans. So Ooh. I'm looking forward to eating all of the beignets and all of like the Creole food. So Yeah, and at the International Food Bloggers Conference, I, I'm guessing that it'll be one of those uh, atmospheres where there'll be lots and lots of food and stuff like that out for everybody. So I'm sure you'll have to try out lots of colorful stuff, stuff that's Instagram ready, as they say. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the main things I'm looking forward to. But um, you'll be doing a lot of traveling yourself coming up too. Yeah, so for our friends and listeners, uh, we've got, you know, obviously uh, Pub Intelligence coming up here in LA on September 13th in Santa Monica. Um, we're just about full, but if it's something you'd like to slip in and try to participate in, you can Google Pub Intelligence and uh, apply to attend. Uh, we're also hosting one with Google in London uh, on October 23rd. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm across the pond, I can't make it to Santa Monica, California, you're in luck. Uh, we will be in London on October 23rd. You can search Pub Intelligence London and uh, find, uh, find that event. Uh, and then also I'll be attending Lion Publishers and the Outdoor Bloggers Conference uh, later this year as well. We're also going to FinCon. Mm-hmm. And um, so, yeah, I guess we're all, both of us, we're all over the place this year. It'll be interesting to, to figure out scheduling of the podcast. I'm sure that'll be fun. Yeah, but I promise, listeners, we will continue to bring you the podcast. We've been doing a good job of bringing them consistently. I know, you know, we had a lot of loyal listeners for a while that probably got frustrated with us we weren't consistent, but Shelby has come to your rescue. So we've produced weekly episodes since she's been in charge. And so um, speaking of weekly episodes, Shelby, what do we have on the docket this week? Um, starting as always with some updates from Google. Oh boy. I uh, wanted to start with the, the Google Search Console and some of the updates or new features that they'll be adding. Um, so with these updates, you'll be able to manage users and permissions directly in the new Google Search Console. Along with that, you'll be able to add sites and validate ownership. Um, you'll be able to actually pull a mobile usability report. And finally, you'll also be able to pull link reports. And so those reports include data such as which sites link to you the most, um, what are the top sites that are linking to your page, and much more. Um, if these features aren't available to you right now, you can expect to see them very soon. Yeah, it's really interesting. Uh, so I was looking inside of uh, a publisher search console today. I was taking a look at it for them, and I realized they have a bunch of features that I don't have for uh, one of my sites. And I realized like they had already got advanced um, access to some of these features, and they're pretty cool. And I think what's interesting is search console has become um, you know, almost a software program that a lot of the early SEO software was, you know, it's being able to look at a lot of things uh, that you know impact your, basically your site's performance um, to make sure you don't have anything fundamentally wrong with the way that your website operates or the way that a user interacts with it or even the way that, you know, a crawler from a search engine can find it. And so um, what's really nice about having this through Google, though, as opposed to like a third-party tool, which I like a lot of the third-party tools that are out there that make things really helpful. Um, But when you have it from Google, you can actually look at it straight from the source. So 
you can basically say, is Google having a hard time crawling my site? So you may see a drop in traffic and say, well, maybe Google's not crawling my site or something along those lines, or it's not indexing pages properly. You can go look, you know, and you can see what links is Google reading that are, you know, heading to your site, that are heading away from your site. Uh, and then how do you manage people that are, you know, essentially in charge of monitoring these things for your site? So I think this is, I think this is great. And I love the way that Search Console is continuing to evolve. Um, I don't know if you follow any of the search search team uh, of Google's on Twitter, but they're constantly getting feedback from publishers and webmasters. And so it sounds like they've really incorporated a lot of this. So yeah, I'm a fan. Thumbs up from me. Uh, speaking of Google and Twitter, there were actually a couple of tidbits that got clarified on Twitter about search rankings. Uh, one of them being it's okay and it's even common to have the same images placed on more than one page of your website. I guess that was there is a little bit of confusion there. So that doesn't hurt your rankings and apparently Google doesn't favor quote-unquote fresh content over older content and of course when it comes to things like news and trending things that gets taken into consideration but um, I guess you don't really have to worry about keeping old content on your um, site. Yeah, so what's interesting about that is, uh, you know, I mean, I think there's a lot to probably unpack, but I think one of the things that is really key for people to understand, and I think folks that are really familiar with modern quote-unquote SEO, um, for, for whatever worth that word still has, but the I think the thought is, is that, you know, there is this set ranking criteria and that Google is going to look at all these different factors and weight them equally. And it's different for just about every type of query. And so I've talked to the Google search team about this. Um, they've been very public about this information. But like different searches have different weighting and different criteria for how they rank it. So if you were to search something about news on Donald Trump, you're going to get probably news of the day um, and things along those lines from probably pretty credible high domain authority types of sites. If you were to search, you know, how to make, um, you know, how to mow your yard with a riding lawnmower or something like that, it's a really broad, long tail <laughs> key term. Um, you may be able to find an article from 2007 that someone had written. Um, and the reason being is, you know, someone may have wrote an article back then that really had encompassed it and over time Google maybe has learned like this is the top answer we've seen lots of people create stuff on it but this guy in 2007 wrote the ultimate article on mowing your yard with a riding lawnmower and so you know I think domain age article length uh, in terms of how long it's been published these things probably do matter for certain queries and don't matter for others so the idea that you need to keep all your old content fresh probably isn't all that important in some cases but in others i bet it is and so um, i think as a publisher your most important um, thing you should always be thinking about is is the content that my users are accessing relevant to them is it good is it better than the other content that's out there that maybe it, it may be competing with for search results um, and i think that's one of the things i've seen here recently with publishers is that um, sometimes they have evergreen content and they say, well, I'm losing my rankings over time. But then if you go and you look at that article versus maybe some some of the articles that rank ahead of it, you realize like, well, the articles that are ranking ahead of it, it's not that they're fresher, it's that they're better. It's that you know somebody's come along and basically written a better article. And so I think it's good to be objective about that stuff and, and evaluate your content over time. Yeah, those are really helpful tips. Um, something I wanted to talk about that we've kind of 
mentioned here and there in some of our past episodes um, is Amazon's Twitch, their video streaming service. So they recently decided to ditch ad-free viewing for their Prime Twitch members. They said that they've reevaluated their current Prime benefits and universal ad uh, ad ad-free viewing will no longer be part of the Twitch Prime membership um, starting sometime next month. Users who already have subscribed to an annual membership will continue to have their free viewing um, until their next renewal date. But they stated although they want to remain a place where people can enjoy their one-of-a-kind interactive entertainment, um, advertising is still an important role in supporting the site's creators. Yeah, video is really weird this way. Um, I noticed here recently Netflix had been... Uh, my guess is they've floated this out there on purpose. I don't know how uh, an organization like Netflix goes about making these really big changes, like the potential of throwing ads into their videos. But they've ex- they've kind of thrown it out there a few times, and I saw that it was back out there. And it, there was kind of a universal revolt from users. Who knows if visitors really would cancel their Netflix uh, subscriptions and things like that. But the threat of it is certainly there. And it's really interesting because if, you know, Netflix would have um, maybe gone with ads from the very start, they might not be having this. I was watching a Netflix show the other day and uh, I forget what brand. Oh, it was uh, Little Caesars was incorporated into the the storyline of the show. And it was so ingrained that it became painfully obvious that Little Caesars obviously had like done some kind of sponsored content deal with the show to be incorporated into it to the degree that it was. And... It's kind of funny as a, and maybe it's maybe it's my cynical nature, but I, I there's a part of me that would just rather see ads um, in the traditional commercial format, either as a pre-roll or something like that, as opposed to like having it almost like worked into the show. Because then I feel like, am I really watching quality entertainment, like artistically designed content, or am I just watching like a big commercial that somebody has tried to like make entertaining? You know what I mean? That's something I've never even really thought about. I actually don't know what I would rather prefer. I guess if it was like super blatant and obnoxious. You, you've seen this though. You've seen movies or television shows here recently where the brand, like a big brand advertisers definitely worked into the plot somehow. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I guess I might actually prefer like a pre-roll or something. That way I can kind of just shut off my brain for a few seconds and kind of just block the ad. Um, but I, I think what's interesting is is that video, it, the, exper- the, the relationship that people have with video advertising versus display advertising in general, like all forms of display, like, you know, billboards and even digital display, I think is very different because I think, you know, where you have like billboards or even, you know, display content in, or display inside of content, it can kind of catch your eye, right? And you can be like, oh, cool, that's a cool Adidas ad or whatever it is. And then maybe it's for something you're interested in. Maybe you either click on it or then you, know, you see the billboard and then you go to the website or something like that because maybe it's something you're interested in. But if not, you can just passively ignore it, right? With video, it's like, no, it's like almost somebody grabs your face and it's like, for the next 30 seconds, 15 seconds, six seconds, you have to pay attention to this, you know what I mean? And so like you said, the question becomes is like, oh, well, when do I shut my brain off, you know what I mean? And uh, I think that that's something that people have to be careful with with video advertising in general is it's not the same thing as display advertising. Um, I don't know, do you, would you agree with that? I would definitely, definitely agree with that. 
um, continuing on about video, uh, <laughs> Paris Match uh, publication uh, recently grew its monthly Snapchat Discover audience to 7 million users. Um, and so there's been a lot out about how Snapchat um, continuing to grow in profits, yet their user base is kind of declining. Um, but Paris Match has spent the last couple of years developing its approach to reach a younger audience and found that the key is to include a mix of topics rather than focusing on a specific area. Um, and they claim that this is what keeps their audience engaged and that 45% of their audience consumes their content on um, a basis of about three times a week. So that means that they're covering news as well as evergreen content, um, which kind of covers sports, politics, celebrities, lifestyle. Um, and they will admit that France winning the World Cup in June kind of gave them a boost in engagement, but they actually leveraged that to their advantage and they used our featured sports personalities during that time to kind of generate interest. So I thought that was pretty interesting and like pretty clever of them. I thought, uh, I read the other day too that the, I think it's uh, either Saudi Arabia or the United Arab Emirates, one of the sheiks or princes there ended up giving Snapchat an investment of like $250 million for um, maybe it was 2.3% or 3.4%, something like that. So they, they're raising money still, um, which is interesting. Um, so their evaluation is still very high as a business. So that's the economics of their situation. I think the, the bigger thing that I, I guess the question that everybody always asks is, um, and you're probably way more qualified to answer this question than I am, which is, are they going to make it or not? Like, I guess, is Snapchat still cool? You're a Snapchat user, correct? I am a Snapchat user. I don't actually use it anymore for like sending messages or like talking with my friends. I actually pretty much only use it as a platform to like read articles and get information. So it's definitely, I feel like their focus has definitely shifted and they've realized that like people, this is what we're using it for. Um, I think Snapchat will make it out. I think they will. So I mean, just based on what you've said, I mean, the theory is they can you they can lose users as long as the users that they do have are starting to use it the way that you've described. Um, I think the the question becomes, you know, Facebook, um, you know, Instagram, even to a certain extent, because I feel like that window's still open, uh, even and even Twitter. Like their time in this, the, their time in the shine, you know, like their time that they had to collect users and kind of like live at their peak, like was pretty long. When you think about the time that Facebook was quote unquote cool and the amount of users they were, you know, not just your mom and dad creating Facebook accounts and things like that, was really long. So they have this massive user base they built, and so they've leveraged that platform to offer a lot of great things that keep people even that may not use the core platform. Like, well, I have a Facebook account because I'm use it for this or that or whatever. Same can be said for Instagram and Twitter and, and, and those platforms as well. Snapchat has had a very small window, and the audience has been pretty small as well. It's largely been, um, I would say, millennials and Generation Z. Uh, and I guess the question now is, 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 are, is, this, is this generation that is probably between the ages of like maybe 10 and 16 right now, are they adopting Snapchat or has Snapchat like lost the appeal to this audience? And if, that, if the case is yes, then I think Snapchat may have some challenges moving forward because they have this very small window on um, which they accumulated users and now they're maybe bleeding them. Seems I, a little. I have one complaint about Snapchat is that 
I mean, number one, they have those like non-skippable video ads, but they're also playing ads for this scary movie, <laughs> and I can't skip the scary. Is it the one where it tries to surprise you? There's one that tries to surprise you, but they've actually mixed it up and like they're getting smart about it too because they're serving me different ads. Like for a while, it was one that tried to scare you, and then for a while, it was one with a black um, background. So I'm like, okay, when I see the black background, I'm not gonna look. And now it's a white background, so they're like outsmarting me a little bit. So it's literally an app that terrifies you. A little bit. I like read these articles. Like I read like the New York Times and Washington Post like before I go to bed. And I'm, like, in this dark room by myself, and I'm, like, <laughs> a ghost pops up on my screen. So that's uh, my number one complaint with Snapchat right now. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I felt like, and this is a complete aside, um, you know, I felt like a long time ago Snapchat had a huge opportunity. They started selling the Snap glasses. Do you remember those, the sunglasses that had the Snapchat filters yeah. built in and all that kind of stuff? They were not very cool looking. They were not the most trendy sunglasses. I felt like they had an opportunity to make them cool, but they went with kind of these like very kind of cartoonish looking sunglasses. But that being said is if Facebook or Google or Twitter or even Instagram made wearables like sunglasses or watches or any kind of wearable technology, I think everybody would have been like lame. But Snapchat was cool enough at the time to actually make watches and glasses and accessories I feel like that people would actually want if they were cool looking like if you would have like partnered with a designer like if Nike would have partnered with Snapchat for a watch like and built in a bunch of Snapchat functionality I think that would have been like Snapchat's in they could have like not only been the social media platform for a younger generation but they could have been the one that you basically like incorporate into all your different devices so um, truly like a lifestyle brand truly a lifestyle brand and uh, I really feel like they missed that opportunity that's a shame. If only you were working at Snapchat. If Snapchat, that time. Snapchat, you missed out. You missed out. Um, the last thing I have on deck is a survey by Pew Research Center about social posts and their ability to change people's minds. So a recent survey showed that 14% of U.S. adults said that they've changed their views over the past year because of something they've seen on their social feeds. Um, and that 14% was the average across all age, demographic, political groups. However, they found that nearly one third of um, men ages 18 to 29 said that their views have changed thanks to social media. Um, it's found that younger people, which is expected typically, were more likely to have their minds changed. And with that being said, the recent data or other recent data sh also shows that 41% of men surveyed said that influencers affect their purchase decisions uh, compared to only 30% of women. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, I, I would say that's generally positive. I read in the Scientific American this morning that only 66% of millennials felt strongly that the world was actually round, which that made me very concerned. That's actually really <laughs> concerning i'm a little bit surprised so i guess when you can look at changing opinion is a good thing and a bad thing <laughs> and that whenever you look at it in that context um because that was literally the first thing i thought about was like people change their views but that being said i think it does give us i, I think the ability the the kind of it showing the ability to change people's minds um as a publisher you can look at this and basically say like you know 
as much as we battle against these platforms from time to time, we talk about this a lot. You can't build your entire business on top of one of these platforms because it's just dangerous for all the cautionary tales that we've talked about on the show before. But it does show you the power of these platforms to reach an audience and impact their lives. I think there's a really good portion of our audience that are publishers that that create content with a purpose, that enjoy what they do, and um, basically started creating content or work at the media publisher that they do because they are passionate about whatever it is that they're writing about or doing. And uh, I think it probably makes us all feel good that we have the ability to impact the lives of other people. And I think that kind of shows, like, listen, with these platforms, you have the power to do that. And so I think it's just probably encouraging to a certain extent that, you know, I I think there may be have been, you know, this thought that, like, you know, overall quality content quality has gone down and the platform reach has gone down and you know digital publishing is dying I think that's a narrative narrative that exists but I, I actually believe that we're in the golden age of publishing I think that if you are a, col- a quality content producer this is the best time to be alive because you can reach large audiences just based on your merits alone you don't need to d- be able to do anything else than produce really good content and I think that's really great which platform do you think is most important for publishers to kind of be active on, whether it be Facebook or Twitter, Instagram? I think it depends on who you are. So if you are a, um, a lifestyle blogger that has a, you know, that specializes in recipes or fitness, I think Instagram is probably a really big one right now. I think that could change um, or, or maybe even Pinterest. Um, but if you're a... Um, if you're a political commentary media publisher or something like that, there couldn't be two social media platforms more relevant than, than Instagram and, and Pinterest, Pinterest and specifically. Then, in which case, I would say uh, Facebook and Twitter probably. Right. I always um, forget about Pinterest. Yeah, I do. I do too. But it's really funny. I've taught. I you know last week I, I spoke at an event that was largely bloggers, and uh, Pinterest was actually a sponsor there, and I spoke with them for a little while. And uh, they're so heavily invested in publishers right now, specifically lifestyle bloggers, because um, I talked to several websites there that um, they get the majority of their traffic from Pinterest. And it's what's, what's funny is is we I haven't had a chance to dig into a lot of publishers that do get a lot of traffic from Pinterest. We've got a couple. Um, but uh, when I started asking them some of the, the particulars about it, most of them didn't really understand how it worked. They were like, well, I get a lot of traffic from Pinterest, but if it stopped tomorrow, I really wouldn't what, know what to do different, which is very frightening to me. Um, and so I think, um, yeah, I think it just really depends on who you are and what your topics are. But if you look at every social media platform and you say, I'm not really on any of them successfully – maybe try to figure out where other people that are producing content like you are at because one of them is probably a fit. You can probably leverage one of them to your benefit. Definitely. Um, That's all I have. Do you have anything to add today? I don't. Uh, If you're listening to this podcast and you enjoy it, write us a review on iTunes. It's always really helpful when you do. Um, If you have a chance uh, to run into us at one of these upcoming events, please do. Introduce yourself. Tell us that you listen to the podcast. Nothing would make us happier. And, um, yeah, if you have questions for us or would like to uh, make a comment about some of the material we've discussed on the show, tweet us at at Zoic. Um, that's a handle that uh, tw- uh, Shelby and I both will monitor and be able to, um, to respond to, and, and we'll bring your comments on the show. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks a lot, and we'll catch you next time on The Publisher Lab.